Turn with me tonight in your Bible, if you have it, to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, and we're going to break into the chapter. We're going to read from verse 11. Let's hear the word of the Lord. If you have your Bible, then you follow with me in the Scriptures. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Let's hear the word of the Lord. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We who are Jews by nature, and not sinners of the Gentiles, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Amen. When the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text tonight is taken from Galatians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. The text reads as follows, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. My theme tonight is understanding our justification in Christ. Paul's letter to the Galatian church is better known as Paul's emergency epistle. This letter to Galatians was penned in haste. As the Apostle Paul picked up his pen under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write this letter, 
He was very upset. In fact, he was grieved. Some would even go as far as saying he was very hot under the collar. And you could ask, why? And the true answer is this, that the gospel of the free sovereign grace of God was under attack. The true gospel of Christ was being undermined in the Galatian church. In fact, it was being corrupted and denied by certain false teachers with their false teaching. And as I said on Wednesday night, if the Apostle Paul had been able to get all the false teachers together in one room, he would have told them clearly and plainly, your teaching is making the death of Christ meaningless. Your teaching is making the death of Christ useless and insignificant. You're using an empty form of words. See, the false teachers in Galatia were using words like grace, faith. They, they were talking about Christ. They spoke fondly of him. They, they highly prized him. They, 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 they were saying you need Christ uh, as your Lord and Savior. So we could ask, well, if they were using words like grace and faith and Christ and salvation and talking about sin, why was Paul so upset? What was he annoyed at? What were they teaching that so maddened the apostle Paul? The answer is this. They were teaching that salvation is by grace through works, including the work of Christ. They were saying that faith expresses itself in obedience to and observance to the law of Moses. That the church of Galatia was therefore an extension or an offshoot of Judaism. Now, when Apostle Paul heard this, he in his mind was shouting that it's all a lie. Look with me at chapter 2, verse 21. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. See, Paul's argument is clear. It's plain. It's simple. And it's this. If you look for a perfect righteousness... In anyone else or anywhere else other than in Jesus Christ alone, then you have no gospel message, no good news to tell men and women. Listen to what he says in chapter 1 and verse 6. I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. You see, the true gospel, young people, listen to me carefully, is all about what Christ has done on behalf of his people. And the great theme of the Apostle Paul's message is summarized in the words, the just shall live by faith. And that 
text of Scripture is used four times in the Bible. Habakkuk 2 and 4, Romans 1, 17, Galatians 3 and 11, and Hebrews 10 and verse 38. Martin and Luther didn't invent the great doctrine of justification by faith alone. Neither did the Apostle Paul. Now, both men re-emphasized it. Both men, in a sense, rediscovered it. Both men were used of God to enlighten and educate other men across the world on its importance. And at the heart of what was going on in Galatia was an attack on this great doctrine of justification by faith alone. And even though the church in Galatia was hearing words like grace and faith and Christ and salvation, that was being undermined by these false teachers who were saying, Christ is not enough, you need something more, you need circumcision, you need observance to the law of Moses. And Paul was saying, but that's corrupting the gospel. You see, the true gospel message is that there's no perfect righteousness in anyone else or anywhere else other than in Jesus Christ. And I want us to try and understand for a little time tonight something of the great doctrine of justification by faith alone. And I want to use Galatians 2, 16 and 17 as our text. I want you to think, first of all, of the theme of justification. Notice four times in two verses the word justified. Look at the text. Please look at your Bible. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, there's the first reference, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified, There's the second reference, by the faith of Christ. And not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. There's the third reference. And look at verse 17. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, there's the fourth reference. Four times in two verses, Paul uses this word justified. Now, now, that underlines at me The importance of this. He's introducing a theme. Why is it so important? Well, I believe it's important because it answers a fundamental question. There's many questions in the world today. Moral questions, ethical, political, educational, environmental. uh, Questions to do with one's health. Questions to do with finance and money. But here's the most important question, young people, that you're ever going to hear. Job 25 and verse 4, Job said, how can a man be justified before God? That is the most important question that was ever asked. And that question needs a fundamental answer. How can a man who is a sinner be legally declared righteous in the sight of a holy God? In other words, how can a man be saved from the penalty and power and pleasure of sin? How can man uh, be delivered from eternal death and damnation and admitted into heaven, which is the abode of God? And this fundamental question, how can a man be justified before God, is answered in the good news of the gospel that centers in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because Paul knew there was only one way to be legally declared righteous in the sight of a holy God, and that is through the righteousness of Christ and put it 
to the sinner and receive by faith alone. It also analyzes a foundational test. How do you recognize a true Christian today? Many people say, I'm a Christian. How do you recognize a true church today? Isn't there a great plethora of churches in Northern Ireland, haven't we, 12 or 13 and carried off? What's the test of orthodoxy for a true church? Well, we could apply uh, Dr. Henry Cook's uh, tests of orthodoxy to do with the doctrine of the Trinity. Do they believe in the doctrine of the Trinity? Three persons in one Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, co-eternal and co-equal, co-existing together. We, we could apply the test, what think ye of Christ, and analyze what they're saying about his person, who he is, and his work, what he has done. But here's another test, and it has to do with the doctrine of justification by faith alone. You see, Martin Luther said, this is the article upon which the true church stands or falls. Did you know tonight that there's only two religions in the world? And you're going to say to me, well, can you not count, Mr. McLaughlin? There's loads of religions in the world. This world's a very religious place. But you know, if we were to put all the religions of the world into a pot and boil it all down, we'd come up with two. You've got the religion of free grace that teaches that we approach God only on the basis of the blood sacrifice of Christ. And there's the religion of Abel. How did he approach God? He approached God by the sacrifice of the blood of the Lamb. And then you've got the religion of futile works. And that's the religion of Cain. Goes right back to the beginning. Cain approached God on the basis of the works of his own hands. And God refused Cain's offering and accepted Abel's offering. Only two religions. A religion of free grace, a religion of futile works. You see, you're either saved by the free grace of God alone, or you attempt to save yourself by the works of your hands, by living a life of religious works, doing good deeds, alms, giving, and prayers. But this doctrine, this doctrine of justification by faith alone, is one of the great litmus tests of orthodoxy. You see, justification is not something we do. It's something that's wrought upon us. It's an act that God in Christ does. In fact, as the catechism teaches, it's an act of God's free grace. Something else about the importance of this doctrine of justification It analyzes a ferocious attack. You see, the church in Galatia was under attack in the first century. And at its heart was an attack on this doctrine of justification by faith alone. Paul was jealous for that doctrine. You know it's under attack today, 21st century. People have come up with new ideas, called a new perspective on Paul. And the gospel, of course, is misunderstood and people say, oh, well, you need faith in Christ. That, that's great. But you need this work. And you need to do this. And you need to do that. 
And it's a mixture of faith and works. And, and, and what it's doing is undermining the gospel. And, and many churches unwittingly, I believe, have undermined the gospel because they've forgotten that we're not justified by the works of the law, but we're justified by the faith of Christ. And it's not Paul's emphasis. Look, look again at our text. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. Do you see the emphasis here? Not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. You see, he's, he's emphasizing that. He knows this ferocious attack is going on. And, 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 and here's this affirmation. Of course, it as well affirms a focused aspiration. Because properly understanding of the doctrine of justification causes you to aspire to live a holy life unto God, to promote a, a true godly lifestyle, to proclaim a, a true assurance. And that's why Paul could say the just shall live by faith. We're not only saved by faith, but the whole of our life is a life of faith. The faith of Christ. See, justification lies at the heart of true Christian experience. Justification is inseparably linked to sanctification. And if you have one, you have the other. And what we believe has to impact upon our behavior. And that's why it's so important. It answers a fundamental question. It's the litmus test of the church of orthodoxy, at least it's one of them. It, 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 it's the answer to this ferocious attack. And should focus our aspiration in living unto God. Notice, secondly, and look at the text again, think about the truth of justification. If we think about the theme here, then think about the truth of justification. What does the word justified mean? Think of the words in verse 17, for if while we seek to be justified by Christ. Now, now what does that mean? Let me give you the answer of the shorter catechism, though you probably know it. Justification is an act of God's free grace, wherein he pardoneth all our sins and accepted us as righteous in his sight. Only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Now, when we begin to analyze that, and again, if you look at the text... We read in verse 17, we ourselves also are found sinners. Underline that word sinners. You see, man is a sinner with no saving righteousness of his own. When God created Adam, our first man, he created him in his own image, created him perfect. True holiness, true righteousness, gifted him with perfect knowledge. The first man was without sin. He was a sinless man. He enjoyed close fellowship and fellowship with God. God entered into a covenant of works with him. We talk about uh, the, the covenantal parties, God and Adam, Genesis 2:17. Um, the covenant promise, God promised life upon obedience. The covenant penalty, death upon disobedience. God said to Adam, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And, and what he meant was that in dying physically, you'll also die spiritually, and you'll be in danger of dying eternally. Remember, Adam, of course, broke the law of God. Adam sinned in the garden. 
Adam inherited guilt because of that sin. And Adam's guilt then in the first transgression was put to our account because we were in the loins of Adam. When Adam sinned, we sinned in him. When Adam fell, we fell in him. When Adam was declared unholy and unrighteous, we become unholy and unrighteous in him. That's Paul's argument. Go back to Romans chapter 5. Listen to verse 12. Think of it carefully. Romans 5 and 12. Wherefore, as by one man, that's Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. When did all sin? We sinned in Adam. We were guilty in Adam. We, we, were, um, we, 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 we sinned in Adam. We, we uh, became polluted in Adam. We, we, we became lovers of sin in Adam. You see, we think we measure up pretty well. We think we're good and respectable. We think we're doing okay. We think we're inherently good and God accepts us. We think we haven't broken the law. We haven't been guilty. But the Bible teaches there's none righteous. No, not one. The Bible teaches that there's none that doeth good. The Bible teaches that there's none that seeketh after God. The Bible teaches they're all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Romans 3, 10 and 11. See, man is a sinner. Not only has he no righteousness of his own, but man as a sinner is not right with God. We're guilty of breaking the law of God. We don't love the God perfectly. We have a bent towards sin. Soul that sinneth it shall die. We don't, we don't desire God. We don't live for God. We're, we're under a sentence of death. And here's another thought. Man is a sinner. Not only has he no righteousness of his own, not only is he not right with God in himself, but he's not able to save himself. And there's nothing we can do to defend ourselves from the wrath of God. There's nothing we can do to produce anything as the ground of our own salvation. Every man deserves to be judged. Every man will discover that he can't face God and look him in the eye in his sin. Every sinner will discover that he's in a desperate spiritual condition before God. And then Christ comes in. You see, Christ as mediator earned a perfect righteousness for his people. Not only was he the God-man and born of the Virgin Mary, but he lived a sinless life. And in living a sinless life, he earned a perfect righteousness for his people. Now look with me at Romans chapter 5. Now this was maybe hard to understand. I'm well aware of that. But look with me at verse 18 and verse 19. Maybe we should read verse 17 as well just to get the context. For if by one man's offense, that's Adam, death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. So there's a contrast here between Adam and Christ. He says in verse 18, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Verse 19, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, 
so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Now, notice those words. The obedience of one shall many be made righteous. You see, Christ merited and earned righteousness for his people because he kept the law of God perfectly. He said, I do always those things that please the Father. The Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And Christ kept all the precepts of the law. But he was not only obedient in keeping the law, he was obedient unto death. And the Bible tells us that in Philippians 2 verse 8, he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And by his death, he fulfilled the penalty of the law. And you see, it's not what we have done that counts. It's what Christ the mediator has done. Christ earned or merited righteousness by his obedience in keeping the law and by his obedience to his blood sacrifice. That's why theologians talk about the active and passive obedience of Christ. I'm not happy with the term passive. I believe Christ was active in giving up himself unto death. So, so we'll just talk about the obedience of Christ. And I want to tell you something else. The obedience of Christ is perfect. He kept the law of God perfectly in its precepts. He fulfilled the law's penalty perfectly. It was not flawed. He satisfied a holy God. He satisfied the demands of God's justice by his death in the tree. God the Father was well pleased with all that Christ did. If you want proof, think of the empty tomb. He accepted the life and the sacrifice of Christ. Isn't this what we read in the book of Hebrews? In Hebrews chapter 9. And remember what we read there in the verse 12. It says, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. He entered in once into the holy place. Having obtained something. Eternal redemption for us. And there's a great truth. Christ earned a perfect righteousness on behalf of his people. And here's another great truth. Christ's righteousness is received by the sinner through faith alone. Think of that question, that fundamental question. How can a sinner be made righteous before God? And here's the answer. The imputation of Christ's righteousness. Christ's righteousness is reckoned or imputed or put to the account of every sinner who puts his faith and trust in Christ. Remember, justification is an act of God's free grace. So it's not something we do, not something we've worked for or earned, not something we've deserved, but it's something that God does for us on the basis of free grace. It's not about us paying well or praying well or performing well. The spring of our justification is the free grace of God. The righteousness of Christ belongs to Christ. And the righteousness imputed to us belongs to Christ. He earned it. He, he merited by his obedience to the law and to the death. We can take no credit for it. It's on the basis of grace. It's received by faith alone. Ephesians 2 and 8. What does it tell us there? For by grace are you saved through faith. And not, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. And I want to tell you this justification is eternal. It's not for a trial period. 
It's not that we're accepted one day and legally declared righteous and accused another. It's not for an interim period. We can, we can never be separated or, or severed from Christ. So if you're a weak believer and you're struggling with some sin or shortcoming and maybe you feel you're the poorest believer and you're, you're the hardest done by by trials and troubles and you, you say, well, I'm not that well educated and I don't fully understand all this. Well, well you, you just learn this, that this act of God's free grace, this is for eternity. And I want to tell you, it involves a full and forever, a free and forever pardon of all your sins. See, all your sins were laid in Christ when he died in the tree. We sang he died in atoning death for thee. Past, present, and future. A full pardon of the believing sinner. A full acceptance. The Bible talks in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1 of being accepted in the beloved. Now, now think about that tonight. Justification is what? It's an act of God's free grace. Wherein that free grace, that act, he, he pardoneth all our sins and accepted us as righteous in his sight. How? What's the ground? Only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, put to our account and received by faith alone. And that is the great truth of justification. And if we could grasp something of that, it's what Christ has done, his obedience to the law, his obedience to the blood sacrifice, earning righteousness that's put to our account, and in, in that basis we're, we're accepted by God. What a difference that would make. To our lives. I want you to think of one final thing. I want you to think not only of the theme of justification and the truth about justification, but I th want you to think about the testimony of justification. If you go back to our text, Paul says, knowing that a man is not justified by, by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. What is faith tonight? It's a gift. And what does it mean? Think of the letters faith, F A F A I T H, forsaking all I trust Him. Or forsaking all, I take him. And there used to be a Scottish preacher called Sykes that came to Northern Ireland. And his wife. And they used to talk about, well you know, take him home with you. And what, what he meant by that is, will you put your whole trust completely in Christ alone? And recognize that it's not what you do. It's what Christ has done. And what Christ has done. The moment you exercise faith in him. Is put to your account. And on that basis. God not only pardons all your sins. But accepts you as righteous. Legally righteous in his sight. 
just as if you'd never sinned. And that's the testimony of justification. Is it any wonder Paul said, and he introduced it into the church at Galilee, the just, that's the righteous, they're going to live. How? By faith. And as he sums it up, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And as I said earlier, there's a link between justification and sanctification. And those that are truly justified, they want to live a life of holiness, a life of loving obedience, a life of faithful service, a life of worship unto this God in Christ. Because they live by the faith of Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you in closing, have you tonight faith in Christ. I'm not asking you to trust the church. I'm not asking you to trust the preacher. Do you know that churches will let you down? Do you know that preachers will let you down? Do you know that we're fallible men? Do you you know that there's no church perfect? Do you know that the free church is not perfect? Have you discovered that tonight? That's why Paul says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And I'm not asking you to put your trust in in the church. I'm not asking you to put your trust in another Christian. I'm not asking you to put your trust in me. Forsaking all, I take him. I trust him. And the only one to trust is Christ. Are you living by the faith of Jesus Christ? That's the testimony of justification. Could you grab this theme tonight? Will you think of this truth? Will you endeavor to live by this testimony? The faith of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. Thanks for coming. Thanks for listening.